Recovery Elevator, episode 366. If this person had known that we were in recovery and could have helped, maybe this could have been avoided. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us today. On today's podcast, we have Haley. She's 29 years old. She's from Portland, Oregon, and took her last drink on September 3rd, 2019. Great job, Haley. And before we get any further today, let's hear from Cafe RE. When I decided I wanted to pursue an alcohol-free life, I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I joined Cafe RE almost immediately after I found it, and I was so surprised at the amount of grace, support, and love that was offered to me right away. One of the things I quickly realized was that I had a lot in common with the people in this community, people all over the world with similar feelings and struggles that understood me. Community matters, and lining up with people that have the same goal in mind really helped me stay the course on my journey especially when I came across bumps on the road. When joining Cafe RE, you get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $24 a month, you get access to the community, you get paired with an accountability partner if you request to be matched, You can attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 10% of monthly fees goes towards our service project, where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to meet you there. Listeners, my favorite part about Cafe RE is the chats, by far. We have over 70 chats per month, and some of the topics are quite niche. For example, we have a men's and women's chat. We have a parent's chat, single and sober, disordered eating chat, another day one, queer side of recovery, one year of sobriety plus chat. We've got open mic, got happy hour chats, early chats, late chats, and more. Okay, let's get started. In most of my intros, I cover just one topic, but today, since there are four seasons, I want to cover four topics. And speaking of, what's your favorite four seasons song? Mine is, without a doubt, December 63, Oh What a Night. This is a top five best wedding dance song ever, and I'm not budging on that one. Okay, let's do this. Here's the first topic I'd like to cover. Focus on the similarities and not the differences. I recently heard from a listener who told me that she did her best to keep focusing on the similarities and not the differences. So I have a curly-haired dog named Ben. I've mentioned him several times on this podcast. She said she kept listening to this podcast because her boyfriend has curly hair and his name is also Ben. So one thing that can derail your alcohol-free journey and fast is the thinking mind, the ego that says you're different. It's the ego that'll say you're too unique or special, that you can't have a problem with alcohol because you don't look like me, you don't sound like me, you might not have the same skin color as me, you don't have a dog named Ben, you don't play the ukulele, and you think third eye blind sucks, which they don't at all. And I'm not budging on that one either. 
So it's this inner voice, Bruno, that wants you to focus on the differences. It wants to divide, to split. Now that's how the ego survives. Your heart, on the other hand, wants you to focus on the similarities, to join, to unite, to lean in. So my advice, as Roxette would say, listen to your heart. Okay, here's the second topic. Listeners, there are a lot of people rooting for you, including myself. There's a lot of people rooting for me, including myself. In addition, the whole world of normal drinkers are rooting for us. So one of my best friends is named Brady. He's a normal drinker. I've known him since I was a freshman in high school, and he's been one of my biggest supporters on my AF journey. Thank you, Brady. He's seen me at the pinnacle of my drinking. In 2013, he invited me to chaperone a Machu Picchu trip with 12 high school students, and I showed up to Peru drunk, hammered, wasted. So when I arrived, he instantly knew I was hammered. He took one look at me and goes, my goodness, Paul. Anyways, Brady called me the other day to tell me about a success he had and how it could translate to quitting drinking. So Brady plays a weekly poker game via Zoom with his high school buddies, and he's lost every week for the past year and a half. In fact, he's never won. Brady got sick of losing, so he did some basic research on poker strategies. Brady then made a basic plan, and then he won poker night for the very first time. Now, apologies if this poker story is triggering, but I still wanted to share it. So he called me the other day and said, Paul, the first time I made a plan for poker night, I won. Do you ever tell your listeners to create plans or strategies for when they want to drink? I think this could really help your listeners. First off, I think this is awesome that a normal drinker, my friend Brady, wants to help this movement, to help you all. Again, we've got a lot of supporters out there. So I told Brady, I said, yes, we do create plans in our courses, and I've mentioned it on this podcast several times. So listeners, I'm going to mention it again. Put a pen to paper and create a plan for when Bruno or that palpable voice inside the head starts chirping for you to take a drink. The next part is to have that plan on you at all times and then follow it. The third thing I want to share with you today is when I got roasted at a comedy venue a couple Saturday nights ago. A podcast listener's son recently moved to Bozeman, Montana, where he opened up a comedy club. He reached out to me and asked if I'd be willing to share some stories and then have the cast reenact those moments. At first, I said, no, thank you. I didn't want to go into a bar, the lion's den, and then get roasted about my drinking. However, I think comedy is one of the best ways to shed light and awareness on sensitive and pressing topics, such as addiction. So I then said yes. Overall, it was a fantastic experience, and I want to say thank you to Levin at the last Best Comedy Club in Bozeman, Montana for having me. The cast was amazing. The cast of eight took my stories and ran. They doubled down on the ego, or the Bruno voice inside the head. In a theatrical and comical way, they showed how the inner voice can cause anyone to self-implode, and they even showed techniques on how to keep that voice in check mainly with awareness, such as, Hello, Bruno, I hear you, but I won't be taking your advice. In one of my short stories, I said my last drink was over seven years ago, and immediately people in the bar started clapping, as in almost everyone. In fact, it kind of caught me off guard, but it also didn't surprise me. The stigma is mostly fake and is intensified by the Bruno voice. Okay, here's the last thing I want to cover with you today before we hear from Chris and our interviewee Haley. As Patrick Foley says in our Ditching the Booze and Restore courses, this journey is about walking each other home or helping each other out, showing others the way when they get lost. 
and listening to others and following others when we get lost. That's what notable figures like the Buddha, Lao Tzu, Jesus, Mother Teresa, Bill W., Gandhi, and Whitney Houston did. Eckhart Tolle is a big one for me personally. These people shine the light or open the door to a whole new way of living. Their teachings have an infinite ripple effect and here's why. As you heal, others around you heal as well. As you get your shit together, you'll help others get their shit together too. Eight years ago, I found myself in jail wearing a suicide-proof romper. I think that's the most accurate way to describe it. Today, after a shit ton of help, thank you listeners, I'm sharing what worked for me on this podcast. So once you find your footing, I hope you do the same in a format you're comfortable with. We are wired biochemically to help other people out. So try this before you go to bed tonight. Think of all the people that walked you home today or helped you out. It's way more than you'd think. A couple dozen at least. This could be the bank teller, the coffee barista, a family member, the post office worker, maybe a therapist, this podcast, a pet in your household who put a smile on your face, and then tell them all thank you. Then think of ways you helped others with their life today. At the end of the day, we are all seeking the same thing, love. For the group listening now, we have reached a conclusion that sustainable love cannot and will not be found at the bottom of a bottle. Thus, we are collectively seeking a new strategy, coming up with a new game plan. Thank you, Brady. So we find love and then demonstrate through action how others can also find love. And once we have all found love, we'll ask ourselves one question. Now that we found love, what are we going to do? Well, enjoy life because that's what we came here to do. And yes, that last part was inspired by Heavy D and the boys. I had to. It was too clean of a setup. Before we hear from Chris and Haley, let's hear from BetterHelp. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the best online therapy option that currently exists on the market. Mental health matters. And as we continue to live through these stressful times, it has become more and more evident that we need to have someone that can help us process our emotions and navigate the challenges of sobriety. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp provides a broad range of expertise, which may not be locally available in many areas. The platform is super easy to navigate as you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions with your counselor. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. You all know that I'm a big proponent of therapy, so I highly recommend you check it out. Simply visit betterhelp.com forward slash elevator. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join everyone that is taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Recovery Elevator listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com forward slash elevator. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash elevator. Paul, thanks for the intro and Recovery Elevator. Please help me welcome Haley. Haley, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Chris. So glad to have you here and excited to to hear from you. Um, before we get too into it, can you let listeners know how long you've been sober? Sure. Yeah. I'm coming up on, on two and a half years. My sober date is September 3rd of 2019. That's fantastic. How does it feel? 
It feels good. It feels good. This third year is very different than the first two. It's it's been nice. Right? Nothing ever stays the same. It's it does not, no. <laughs> unique challenges, but like unique insights and benefits. For uh, sure. I feel like I've really been able to get into the service in the third year. Like, okay, now I feel like grounded enough to to give back. That's amazing. And I, I want to hear more about that later. Again, before we get into it, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, family, stuff like that? And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Oh, yes, absolutely. So I was born in Northern California and my parents split up when I was very young. And so I split half of my time between Portland, Oregon and, and Chico, California. And I have been in the restaurant industry forever. It's definitely family. It's in my blood. Um, I grew up in restaurants and food carts and, and just food and beverage businesses. I went to school here in Oregon. I helped open several restaurants, including a few in the Dominican Republic. And then I, I ran a cocktail catering company in San Francisco for about five years. But that was really the, the tail end of my addiction story and my sort of rock bottom happened there. And then we were chatting about this before, but I, I got sober in Minnesota and I have since worked in the non-alcoholic beverage business. So did a bit of a pivot and it's been very fun to be, to get to do what I love to do, but with the non-alcoholic focus. And I also work with a nonprofit called Ben's Friends, which is supporting uh, restaurant industry individuals in addiction crisis. So That is very cool. Man, you've kind of like covered the gamut. You've done like a lot of different stuff. That sounds very, that's cool, Haley. Um, <laughs> Most importantly, last question, last part before we start. Oh, yeah. What do you like to do for fun? So since COVID, I have become, I have re reinstated my daily longboarding ritual, ritual <laughs> tradition. <laughs> so I do. I like to ride my longboard as much as I possibly can. It's like my thing that's like consistently puts me in a good mood. If I'm having a hard day, I grab my board. Unfortunately, it does rain a ton in Portland and it's it's hard to go in the rain. But when it's not raining... Or when there's a break in the rain, I always go out. That's super cool. Like growing up, I was, I was a, my friends called me a fruit booter, like a skate, like a, uh, not skate. What the heck are they called? Rollerblades. Yeah. Some, I had some friends who longboarded. Do you do like aggressive hills or like just pretty casual rides or a little bit of both? First of all, the rollerblading's coming back. So I hope you're busting those back out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nothing. Uh, no, I'm kind of a wimp. Although I will say, so I recently started longboarding with people. I've actually uh, joined the the longboarding women's global group on Facebook, and they have meetups where where women meet up and and longboard together. It's super fun, amazing That's community, awesome. and it's really like elevated my skills to go out with other people because I was just kind of coasting around. <laughs> it's community, another place that community works, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. That's super cool. All right, Haley, let's do what we came here to do. Uh, okay, and let's talk about alcohol and, and all and recovery and all this fun stuff. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your relationship with alcohol? Maybe uh, how you're in, introduced to it. And, sure. And yeah, we'll just go from there. I just want to clarify that it's appropriate to talk about drugs, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's... <making> <laughs> I was just like, when you Sometimes said Sometimes they get how, separated. <laughs> how weird is that, that that's like a normal question? And like, yes, absolutely. Can you talk about drugs? <laughs> Go for it. Uh, so I told you I grew up in the restaurant industry. My my parents had a food cart that they brought to music festivals, like, like weekend long camp out festivals. And I would say 
I first tried alcohol and smoking pot when I was 12. And then when we started going to these festivals, I was like excited to experiment with absolutely everything. So I was 14, 15 at that time. And I just took, I mean, there were so many different kinds of drugs and strange designer drugs at these festivals and, and the whole gamut. And I just said yes to anything that was offered to me. And I really enjoyed being really, really wild and, and having whatever experience that led to at these festivals. And it mm -hmm. felt for a while, it sort of felt like this safe container, like my family was there. And so if something really bad happened, I was okay. And, and it's a safe container in that, you know, you're not going to get arrested for doing drugs at a festival. And if something really bad happens, there is medical on site. And so I, I sort of felt like I was okay to, to experiment in that environment. Um, but I just pushed it really hard, really young. And then my drinking definitely continued throughout my whole time in restaurants. And then when I opened my cocktail catering company in San Francisco, it ended up doing really well, really quickly. And I did really didn't know how to run a business on my own. And I got scared and I, I was just saying yes to everything. I had no idea how to say no. And so I really developed a strong relationship with cocaine. And I was using it to have more hours in the day and to make up for not sleeping at night and, and just trying to do more and achieve more. And I would say that's my first addiction is, is achievement and, and praise. Mm -hmm. And so it was like coupled with the, with the cocaine to just keep going just more, more, more. I just wanted to dip back, like when you were experimenting, you know, like when you first started, was it, was it like just out of a curiosity or like, did you have friends that were doing it? Was there, was there like any motivations or, or feelings as you were doing it? Or was it just kind of like, oh, let's try this and, and see what the excitement's like? Mm, I do remember always taking it further than everyone else. I remember, you know, friends would say, oh, I think I'll just do a little bit. I'm not sure how it's going to feel. And I always wanted to get too high. I never like wanted to try a drug and get a little high. I like wanted to be like uncomfortably high. And I think that undeniably came from a place of pain. Like I was trying to escape some serious angst and pain and confusion about who I was. And it was very reckless. Yeah. I, I get that feeling. I, like it was, a, it was the same for me, like with alcohol is from the first time I tried it, I, there was just this excitement about it. And like, same thing. It's like, like enough was never enough, even from a, like from early on. And I was always yeah. like looking forward to the next time and like trying to plan the next time. So. Someone at Hazelden, a, a counselor at Hazelden actually said to me, people who aren't addicts or alcoholics, alcohol and drugs aren't a spiritual experience for them in the way that it is for us. And that really hit me. Cause it was like, wow. Oh my gosh, that was me. Like every time I would do drugs, it was like, there's God or like, there's my spirituality. And, uh, yeah. That's kind of what I was seeking I was like, oh, now I feel connected and whole and okay in my body. <laughs> and without it, I just didn't. I was just in a meeting this morning and we were talking about like, we were talking about embarrassing stuff that we did, but we were talking about like Facebook posts and I was like reminiscing about all my Facebook memories. It comes up all this like stupid shit, but it was like when I was drunk, like I was like, listen to a song and I post the lyrics and like, I just, I vividly remember sitting like in my garage drunk, sitting in this garage sale chair thinking nobody gets this the way yeah, I do. And it's like, and I look back on that. It's like, oh, you dumbass. So but, cringy, right? <laughs> but yeah, it was like you just like felt that, like yeah, I've never heard it. I've never heard it put that way. That it was a, a spiritual experience. Yeah, that kind of. Yeah, I'm writing that down because that's something that I think I need to think about. But, but so I will say, I also can trace back this pattern of you know, it's always been stimulants for me. That's always been my drug of choice. I've tried many others, but I've always, I've always been attracted to stimulants. 
actually my first true drug of choice was Adderall. I was buying people's Adderall in high school. Okay. And, um, and it's, I, I can trace this pattern of like, I never feel like I've done enough in a day mm-hmm. and I always want to do more. And that is really, I, I mean, I think that's a pretty common thing for people, but I will say that's a bit of a restaurant mentality. I think I really developed that in food and beverage. Yeah. Well, let's, let's keep going. So you had your cocktail catering. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it? Okay. So you had that business. You're getting heavily into cocaine usage. Yeah. Let's just, let's keep going forward. Yeah. So I, I really felt like I had painted myself into this corner where I started to realize that I needed help. I remember marking the day of it having been a year since I had said, I think I have a problem. And okay. that, that really freaked me out. Like, oh my gosh, it's been one full calendar year since I said, I think I might have a code problem. But once I got to that point, I was very much at that point admitting, you know, this is a problem. I'm having a hard time. I was also having these massive emotional meltdowns. I always say, like, I looked around and the people who were doing drugs and drinking around me, they seemed to, like, be okay and keep it kind of cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I did not. I had big suicidal meltdowns pretty often. Call my family and say, I just can't, I can't go on anymore. And you know, they were really freaked out. And then I would call the next day and say, I'm really sorry. It was just a bad night. But I, I, yeah, I felt like I had painted myself in this corner of, I cannot take a break. I knew I needed to take a break. And I started sort of researching treatment and, and how to stop doing drugs. I was ordering a ton of books. I'm like, mm-hmm. get sober quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and get sober without putting your life on pause. And like, please right. just like, don't make me tell people that I need to rest or that I need to take a break or please don't make me let anyone down. I can't handle that. And then finally I had an aunt and an uncle who were in the Bay area. They were my only family that was there. So they were sort of, I was seeing them more than anyone else. And they sort of stepped in and said, none of this matters. You have to take a break and we'll help you figure that out. They helped. They actually sat with me and helped call clients and say, she's not going to be at the wedding or she's not going to, the bartending's, we got to find someone else. Yeah. How, how old were you uh, when this was taking place? Uh, 26. 26. Okay. At the end? Yeah. Where did you end up going from there? Like, did you end up pursuing uh, a treatment? Or? Yeah. So by a twist of fate. So I had no connection to the program or, or understanding of it whatsoever. I popped into one NA meeting and I thought this is not for me at all. And uh, other than that, like I hadn't, I didn't know any family who had ever been in the program or, or any friends or anything. So I, I didn't have anyone to ask, but my childhood best friend had gone to a coaching conference and met this man who does interventions for a living. So essentially she connected me with him and she just said, I don't know how he can help you, but I feel like he can, you know, try calling him. And this is like the, the window into addiction. I feel like, so I was calling this man crying and needing help and muting the phone and doing lines off the phone while on the phone with him, which I feel like no one would ever understand that moment other than an addict. (laughs) And he, he was great. You know, he's got a ton of time and experience in the program. So he knew just what to say. And he said, if you can, let's, let's get you to treatment. And he said, I, you know, I highly recommend this is where I would send my family if I could. And there happened to be a bed at Hazelin and it was incredible. That was the big surrender. Yeah. Because it was so hard. I mean, even thinking about going 30 days without my phone, like thinking about all the people I was going to let down, mm-hmm. taking, you know, 28 days without being able to answer my phone. I was so scared of that. Besides like the crippling anxiety and all that shit that, that accompanies <laughs> drug and alcohol use, did you have any other sort of consequences happening in your life? 
I was having some health consequences, mostly like my nose and stuff and, and Mm -hmm. pretty splitting headaches. And I wasn't sleeping at all. I was doing often three and four day benders. And so I was feeling really um, not well. And I also had financial consequences that I wasn't talking about. So my, my business was sort of in trouble a bit. uh, But I also had $2,700 $2,700 of parking tickets from the city of San Francisco. By the time oh, no. I was and I was just in constant fear that my truck, which I was basically living in, was going to get towed. And um, so talk about anxiety. <laughs> but then, yeah, absolutely. I had, I had my relationship suffered. My, mm-hmm. my health suffered. Everything suffered. Well, I'm glad that you were, I'm glad that you got put in touch with this guy. So you, you head off to Hazelden. When you, when you left, so going from California to Minnesota, did you let people know what you, like what you were going for? Were you able to, to be open about that or? I told very select few people. I was, I was really, really fearful of the, the judgment and I um, kind of figured that people would figure it out, but mm-hmm. you know, being in by bringing it back to like being in the alcohol business I had a ton of fears about my clients finding out. I was, I was really, really worried about what that meant for the legitimacy of my business or, yeah. or what they would start to think about, Oh, was she, you know, was she drunk or high at events that she worked for us? Or yeah. that was my main fear was that, was that clients or people that I worked alongside with my colleagues in the, in the spirits world would be like, Oh, she can't handle her. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she's supposed you to know, sell and market already, this stuff. Being a woman in that world is already sort of a, an uphill battle. And so I, that that was the image in my head. It was like a table of boys sitting around drinking whiskey and thinking like, girls just can't hang. They can't. can't swing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be tough. I think just just in general, anybody with addiction, but especially if you're, you know, unique within your field. Yeah. A, a whole different a whole different level. And, and our brains have a, a way of latching onto those those pieces of, of stigma or, or these fears and and keeping it like keeping us in it for like longer than it needs to. So you take off to Hazelden. What was, what was the beginning of that? Like, you know, you, you'd said that it was kind of like that, that first surrender just to make the decision to go. Yeah. Did that first surrender stick or, or did you get a, have a chance to make it again? So, so this is the part that was a little bit Hollywood about my story was that I, you know, I was working with this, this man who was an interventionist and he, he was kind of talking to my aunt and uncle who were helping arrange the whole thing. And he said, I, I think she should go to Hazelden. And so I, I wasn't a ton of the part of the planning. Like I sort of asked for, for a lot of help in that, which mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for. I actually never forget. My uncle said, it seems like for the first time in your life, you want someone else to tell you what to do. And I was like, Oh my oh. God, I want that so bad. <laughs> That's all I want. And so I heard Hazelden and I, you know, I start Googling and I'm looking at Hazelden Malibu and I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to go to rehab with the celebrities. And it's going to be like, I had this whole vision about like, okay, well now it's kind of glamorous. Now right. it's like, look, who is this girl? Do a little networking. And then it wasn't until the day we were flying out that it came out, you know, you pack your parka, you're going to rural Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, that's when the surrender faded away and my, my, my will kicked back in. And I was like, no, 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 no. Minnesota, but it's so far away from my friends and family. What if, you know, I want someone to come break me out or I change my mind or I'm dying there and I want someone <laughs> to come visit me. And the intervention guy said, you know, I've gotten to know you a little bit in talking to you over the past few weeks. 
you're such a true extrovert. I'm worried that if you go anywhere on the West Coast, you will have a visitor every day. And that is really not the intention of treatment. It's to take care of yourself for once and take some space from. Yeah. So, yeah, super smart, super smart. But I didn't I didn't want that at all at first. I'm going so far away. And and, you know, when I left for treatment, it was the idea was just going to take the days. I'm going to take the minimum amount of days that I can possibly do there. And then I'll come right back in and plug right back into my life. Mm-hmm. At that point, it wasn't even like, I'll, I'll come back sober. It was just, I need a break and I get that. And so I'll go to this, whatever, and then I'll come back and, and run the business exactly how I was running it. Yeah. Get things under control a little bit. Exactly. Then yeah. Back to life. What, what would that minimum, minimum commitment have been like four weeks? Good question. Yeah, I think so. I yeah. think Sandra Bullock had a movie on it. So yeah. Like, so it's, I think it. you can do 21 or 28 yeah. in inpatient. I ended up doing 31 maybe inpatient and then a full month of outpatient as well. Okay. Which amazing. When you got into it, I haven't been, I haven't done inpatient, but I did an intensive outpatient. So what, like when you got into it, what was that experience like? Did you have, like, did you have expectations going in? I did sort of. Yeah. Were they met? Yeah. Well, Hazelden is lovely. It is a it is a world class place, and I was also really scared, really, really scared. Yeah, I found a lot of things to be upset about when I first. Yeah. What <laughs> I think one of the things I showed up and I was like, I'm a vegan, and they were like, We don't have those here. <laughs> you can't be a vegan. You've got toast um, or some Cheerios. Yeah, totally. And then they like very quickly flagged me for an eating disorder because they were like, That's what. <laughs> <laughs> but they. Everyone was so kind and nice. And I have been hanging out with drug dealers for months. And so I was so skeptical. I was like, what do you want from me? They want, they all wanted money. That's what I thought. Everyone who was nice to me wanted money from me or they needed something from me. There's yeah. no way these people were that nice. <laughs> right. Which I feel like the people in recovery are the kindest, nicest people I've met. People in Midwest recovery, next level. <laughs> we know how to do it out here. The sweetest sweeties. Uh, again, I'm, I'm assuming there's elements of, of our experience that are similar had you, you know, uh, I think there's a lot of people, especially like in treat in treat in the treatment world where they kind of start to crack you open. Yeah. And, and a, a big part of this is, is figuring out our reasons, like figuring it fig, figuring out our whys. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that language for me was, was new. And I'm like, what in the hell are y'all talking about? Do you feel like you got a lot of that as well? And yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There is some sort of magic that happens there because like I said, I had popped into an NA meeting and thought these, this is not for me. These people are nothing like me. All I could see were differences. And then I also, so I, when I went to treatment, I was dead set on, it's not alcohol. I do not have a problem with alcohol. It's just cocaine. Can you please just scrub the Coke part of my brain out and like, let me get on my way, have a glass of wine when I get yeah. out of here. And they throughout the course of the month where I was able to see through like, you know, counselors that had really done their research and personal stories around. It's really all the same. It's really an addict is an addict is an addict. And, uh, and we're here to heal the what's underneath. Um, Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I agree. There's, there's so many similarities and whether it's drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, food, yeah. We're all, I mean, those are broad strokes to paint, but really I think that's what it is. You know, I, I haven't yeah. had a drink in how many years, but 
if I get uncomfortable, I, I can still, you know, oh, like six bowls of ice cream might be good, you know? Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, I don't like not to minimize any of it, but it's. No, no, it's real. It's real. And yeah. it's good. Those, I kind of appreciate those because they remind me, oh yeah, I have this tendency. So yeah. So I left Hazelden willing to work the steps really. Okay. And I think I left with a healthy fear of, okay, now that I've had a month clean, I so don't want to do drugs again. I would, mm -hmm. I'll do whatever it takes to keep this feeling. Cause I was, I was very elated and excited and my body felt healthy for the first time in years. And that's an indescribable change. That's a, yeah, that's definitely a motivator. Yeah. So you did a month inpatient and then a, a yeah. few, a few weeks of outpatient. Mm -hmm. Where'd you go after that? Did you like, did you go back to San Francisco? To no. So I wasn't, I wasn't ready. I felt like I wanted a little more time and space to, to ground out my program. And I got really into going to meetings and I, I got a sponsor and I just took a job at a restaurant. And in that time I, I sold the assets of my business mm -hmm. and I just, I moved in with a girl that I met in treatment and we just really focused on our recovery. It was interesting. I actually had this, this series of job interviews with a pretty prestigious hotel group based in Chicago. And I had it in my mind that this was like my reward for getting sober, right? I was like, oh, I ran this cool business in San Francisco and I had to give it up and it was so hard. My ego was so crushed by that. And now here's this opportunity. There's this very glamorous glass office job. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, this is what I, you know, this is what I get. And there were like seven interviews or something. And in my head, wow. I totally had it. I, I bought a suit for this job before <laughs> I actually had it. And then I didn't get it. And I was crushed. And I thought, God, I don't know about this whole program thing. But looking back, the magic of that was that because I didn't get that job, I got a very part-time restaurant job and completely focused on my recovery. My recovery was number one for a while. And it laid the foundation of my recovery today, which I'm super grateful for. That's and I great. think if I had jumped right into that, back into that high pressure, doing as much as you possibly can, it would have been really dangerous for me. Yeah. He, and you know, like huge kudos to you for, for recognizing that. I think, I think there's so many of us that like when we start that process, it's like, all right, what do I got to do? Like, let me check these boxes and get this shit out of the way. You know, what do I, I got to go, how many meetings, how many, like how many days in treatment? What, what are the, like, for, that was such a huge thing for me. It's like, what are the boxes to check? And it's like, yeah. those boxes are floating and you might not ever catch all, all of totally, them. Totally, totally. But to, to have that uh, recognition and foresight, like, all right, this is something that like right now I need to prioritize in my life. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I was super grateful because I wanted to do it with intensity. And mm -hmm. I had a sponsor who said, let's try consistency instead. That's really let's, good. Yeah. Let's, she's, you know, I was like, I'll do 90 and 90 and, and I could probably even do more than that. And what if I, you know, go to every meeting in town? And she said, why don't you pick one meeting that you don't miss and you show up at every week and you let people actually get to know you and you stick around? Not into that. <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. And then that really is now... I feel that I get yeah. that for sure. Consistency over intensity. I, yeah, I really like that. I haven't heard that before. Okay. So you get out, you find your roommate or, or yeah. you, you we were your, in treatment together. Your yeah. roommate from treatment. You start to work the program. Did you, did you like jump right into the program after, <clears throat> after rehab? 
Yeah, I did. I did. And there was some, I can't remember exactly how they did it, but there was some sort of accountability. I think while in outpatient, they were really insisting that you find a sponsor and you start the steps while in outpatient so that they, they send you on your way working a program. So I was, yeah, I did that. I had one sponsor who wasn't a good fit. And the main reason that this sponsor wasn't a great fit, which is what I wanted to talk to you mostly about today was that she insisted I could never work in a restaurant again. She said, Mm. that's, that's not part of recovery. That's not where Pete, that's not where sober people work. And it broke my heart and I get it. Like I, I totally understand that that's a, that can be a really slippery slope for people. You hang out at a barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. Yeah. Referring to being in bars and restaurants. However, it's my whole career. Is that everything I had worked for and grown up in and, and loved so much. And then when this sponsor shared her story with me, she was in the medical industry. She was now a, a doctor, but she had had several, I think, relapses while in the medical industry, including pills at work and, and you know, stealing patients' pills. And, and this light bulb sort of went off for me of, well, if you can stay in the thing that you love and make it work, even though part of it was part of your demise, mm-hmm. I can too. And then I found Ben's Friends which is a whole community of people who are still in the, in the food and beverage industry and are sober. That was next level for me. I'm glad that you brought up the, the multiple, multiple sponsor things. I think, I think there could be like a a 20 hour marathon and it still won't get to it of all these misconceptions that come out of like 12 step programs and, and what it means to be loyal and live to the death of the word of our sponsor. And yeah. And like what we commit to what they say and, we as people are so dynamic. So of course those relationships are going to be dynamic and, and your relationship with your sponsors is most likely completely different than that of mine. But yeah, you know, I think it's like, it's okay. We don't, we don't have to necessarily, I don't, I don't know. And I, I don't, hopefully this isn't like dangerous to say, but like we don't have to, to live and die by the words of these people. It's, I think it's important to recognize that yeah. they are also people who are, are striving for a better life. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and it's like it's good to have that uh, that accountability, and and I think it's important to pick someone who's living the life that we want. But it's you know, not, it's true. Not it's everything true. is always gonna gonna line up. Yeah, yeah, and I I will say so. I the second sponsor that I got, uh, I still have today. So we've been working together for two years now, and she does a wonderful job of that. You know, this is my experience. That's all I have to share. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but this is how it worked for me. And we had wonderfully similar path. And so everything she shares that, that she went through is just so valuable to me. She could just talk about herself the whole time. And it's like, yes, tell me more. Yeah. Yeah. I think that relatability is really important too. Yeah. So tell me about Ben's friend. So yeah, I want to I'd yeah. like to hear more about that. I think there's, I think there's a lot of people in food and like food service, food and beverage industry. Uh, there are absolutely, yeah. It's also um, one of the top three industries that that struggles with addiction. Mm-hmm. So I think it's construction, coal mining, food and beverage, and uh, <laughs> so it's like North Dakota. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we have all those things. <laughs> I, our medical clinic is coal country, so yeah, okay. I get it. All right, this, it all checks out. <laughs> And I've seen it. I mean, I've seen it from, from festivals to fine dining. Addiction is rampant. Mm-hmm. I get it. I think, I think it's a, 
it's a symptom of many things. It's, it's a very stressful environment. It's incredibly normalized to do drugs and drink even while at work, certainly post and pre-shift. And it's not a very well resourced or supported industry. And when we have resources, like all sorts of resources, but health insurance makes a huge difference in getting support and getting help. So the restaurant industry, I think it makes a lot of sense that addiction would be found there. It's also very glamorized. We talk a lot about Anthony Bourdain in Ben's Friends and how much everyone absolutely worships him. Wonderful man. Absolutely love Anthony Bourdain. We don't talk about demons and the addiction side of things, which is undeniably connected to his death. Yeah. And so that right there, like looking at only loving that he's, you know, this rock star guy who's made it in food and we don't talk about it. Actually, he's really having a hard time and needs support. Yeah. And Um, a man who on the surface, I mean, had everything, but yeah, obviously he's hurting and lonely. And yeah. Yeah. I think celebrities suffer from that. I actually saw um, someone speak on this exact thing and it was really so what does what does Ben's friends provide? Like what type of is it uh, like a support group community? Yeah, it's absolutely. So we we like to say that it's not a program; it is a community, okay. um, and we encourage people to to work a separate program or or find something else if they're needing more, and then then just the community support. But it started in Charleston, and it was founded by by two people, Mickey and Steve, in Charleston. And it was it was founded. They both had several years of sobriety under their belt. And they were both in the food and beverage industry, but due to the nature of Alcoholics Anonymous, they were pretty anonymous in their sobriety. And there was an addiction related death in their, their close circle of food and beverage community. And it's, it sparked this idea of if this person had known that we were in recovery and could have helped, maybe this could have been avoided. So they, they founded this, this group and it sort of functions like 12 step meetings in that there's, the in-person chapters, you know, you sit in a circle and, and they're sharing. There's sometimes a speaker, sometimes a topic, and then people share on said topic. But it really came alive during COVID. So there were 12 to 15 in-person chapters that, that still meet in person. But COVID, there the national meeting was born during COVID. Okay. And it meets every day at 10 a.m. Pacific time, 1 p.m. Eastern time. And then there are also late night meetings. Monday, Thursday, Saturday, excuse me. And then Wednesday nights, there's a men's and a women's separate meetings. And so just a ton of online support. And I think for people that are a little bit curious or fearful about the anonymity piece of their career, they can show up on Zoom without their camera on, test it out, hear if they hear something they like, come back. I think that's one of the beautiful things. Like as much as COVID has sucked, the which it has sucked a lot, uh, but the availability of, of online meetings and, and the way that the you know, the recovery community has been able to like leverage technology. I think it's opened, I think it's opened a lot of doors for people who are like sober curious or curious about their recovery. Cause there's, I mean, how many times did, did I think Man, I should, maybe I ought to go to this meeting, but it's like, I don't, I'm it's not going to go so to the, hard. I'm not going to go to the church up the street yeah. Yeah. on Tuesday night because what if everybody in my town is standing outside waiting for me? Like, yeah, it's, exactly. <laughs> the, the like, out of you. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's never happened to me, <laughs> but that, but like yeah. that fear was there and it's such a barrier for, it's for so entry. True. It's so true. That's exactly how I felt. So my first, that NA meeting that I went to, I was shaking. I was so scared to go in, actually went high, but I, it was next to, 
this pretty famous farm to table restaurant and wine bar. And I was mortified. I was like, what if they see me? That's, that's my worst nightmare. So I think about, I think the zoom thing could have been really great for me, but yeah, yeah, I think it's, I think in a lot of ways it's awesome. I am, we do miss that human connection obviously, but but accessibility of especially a first time meeting. Oh yeah. Approachable. Or like you can go to a meeting in a totally different city. That's great. Yeah. I did. Um, this was like pre COVID I did, um, in the rooms was like a, was like an online 12 step thing and they had a bunch of meetings and that's cool. I did, I did a lot of that. Like while I was at work, I was listening on my phone and yeah, it's, it's cool that there's, that there's things like this out there to be able to, again, like it, it's nothing to like jump in a zoom. You can use come up with a cool fake name, (laughs) you know, and like check it out. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just really quick, the the nature, like I said, that the meeting sort of functions like a 12-step meeting and there are similar topics. Often we talk about gratitude and spirituality and service, but we do also talk about tangible, how to be in the restaurant industry and and maintain sobriety, which is very helpful for me, for sure. Um, even though I'm in the non-alcoholic beverage industry, now I am in bars and restaurants all day. And mm-hmm. I use a lot of the resources that I've gotten from Ben's friends. That's very cool. And we're going to have... I'll make sure that I get their, their information and uh, listeners, we're going to throw this in our show notes. So if this is, if, if you're listening and you're like, yes, this is what I want, we'll make sure to get, yeah, we'll get a website or some contact information. I'll make sure that I get that from you. So check out the show notes. If you're, if you're wanting to, to dig in and see what this is about. Okay. So you get your next sponsor, you find Ben's friends. What has, let's, let's just kind of finish up with, with your, like your recovery now, like where, what are you up to these days? And, and like, what is your life looking, looking like now with, with two and a half years of recovery? Yeah. So I, I did recently find myself in a, in a little bit of a lull of recovery and, and it's awesome to, to realize that it's as easy as just coming right back. And then it's like, so it's so easy to jump right back in, but while Ben's Friends is an amazing community and resources, I do my uh, my connection to my sponsor and, and my my connection to the steps and those little those little like ways that we can sort of check in with the steps. You know, doing a mini inventory or doing you know a, a ten step at night like those are so helpful to me and such a such a part of my recovery now. My life in general is has gotten way better. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned uh, mentioned a tenth step, and if listeners, if you're not familiar with that, that's like daily inventory. But yeah, just kind of like taking stock of our lives uh, on a daily basis. Also, the one thing that I do not miss, and I've done this, I, I think I've missed three days in two and a half years, and I totally felt them. But I started this day one in treatment is my gratitude list, and I don't know what kind of witchcraft gratitude is, but. <laughs> It's incredible. So I, I started with just three things I was grateful for and I was sending those to my first sponsor and then it grew to three things grateful for, three things proud of. And today, every day I do 10 things I'm grateful for and 10 things I'm proud of. And it really, really does the trick first thing in the morning. 10 a day. That's awesome. Yeah. 10 each. Yeah. That's fantastic. I used to do, um, I used to do it like a, uh, what was it? It was called like the five minute journal. Yeah. And I, and I think that's got like a three and three. Yeah. 
Yeah. My consistency. Not to to brag about my 20. (laughs) Well, no, that is like, that's really good. And I, you know, I I agree with you. There's, uh, there is some, there there is some witchcraft there. There's something about, I don't know. Like, I don't like to say like fake it till you make it, but it's, there's something about like kind of forcing yourself to, to change your perspective, even for a moment where if it doesn't give you that full, full on shift where you're, you know, like Pollyanna and everything's great. Right. I mean, at least you can appreciate the perspective of these are the things that I have and and these yeah. are the things that, I, that I've done. Yeah. The pride one is good for me because of that addiction to achievement and praise. When I can just like give that to myself in the morning, I'm way less likely to be like, okay, I'll work 20 hours straight so that you tell me I'm doing a good job. Yeah. We'll do team meetings every once in a while for recovery elevator and now like somebody for the icebreaker will be picked like, Oh, we're going to do positive affirmations today. And like, it makes uh-huh. my freaking skin crawl, <laughs> but, but it's good. I think, I think that's, that's nice. yeah. it's really important. What's in your plans for uh, sobriety moving forward? I know I'm totally like a one day at a time guy, Yeah. but, but do you have any sort of like, I don't know, like goals or, or bucket lists or things that you're, that you're looking to achieve that are like sobriety related? Sure. Yeah. So I'll say when I said that the, that year three has been really um, a bit of a shift, I years, year one for sure. And quite a bit into year two, I felt very, very protective of my 12 step recovery in that I don't, I I had the blinders on. I don't really have room for anything else. I just got to do this. It it feels like life or death. It it did feel like life or death for sure. And I wasn't really open to reading books about other types of recovery or really, I, you know, I got nervous when I dipped too much into Ben's friends and building that foundation. I now feel open to other types of recovery and I'm really fascinated in, in Buddhist recovery. I think the mindfulness aspect of that is beautiful. I'm, you know, reading a book right now, quit like a woman. That's, that's definitely not 12 step recovery. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just, I just feel a little more, open. I'm grateful that I protected it in the way that I did, Yeah. but now I'm, I'm available too. But the service thing, I, Ben's friends is a really wonderful place for me to be in service because it's such a lived experience for me. I can talk about getting sober in the food and beverage industry all day long. And I had no idea how many people needed to hear about that. I, every time I do anything, even remotely public on social media or um, just in the community, I get quite a few responses of people saying, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm a bartender and I'm really struggling or, Hey, I'm, I'm a dishwasher at this restaurant and I really need help. And so I'm so grateful to be a hand that's reaching out for that. Yeah. I think it's important that we have people in, in these different, these different areas too, because there's, uh, again, I think it's important to focus on the similarities, not the differences. However, there's that shared experience. It's just, it makes it a little bit easier. And, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who are like, well, she's been where I am. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, she can do it. And to be able to, again, like share our experience. Yeah. And even if we're, you know, even if the consequences are so extreme and we're having such a hard time, I think so many of us still wanted to hear you can hold on to this thing that you love. Like you don't Mm -hmm. have to give up. And that, that's what it was for me. Like I, I loved reading stories about chefs and, and people that, that maintained that life but just did it sober. I was like vigorously taking notes whenever I would hear yeah. about anything like that. Oh my gosh, we can do it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's just really cool. Yeah. I, I guess I don't know that I, that I would have thought it that way to be able to, to continue doing something that you love and like what a gift, um, what a gift that you and this group are, 
are giving to those people for them for them to be able to to hear that and and to pro- provide hope because like we all know that that when we're in this like hope is not something that is abundant in our lives when we're in Amen. addiction yeah so again like similar back to like when i was listening to recovery elevator going in, going to treatment to be able to hear my story through someone else and to hear that somebody had yes. had a lot of those similar consequences but that but they, that they were like thriving, not just like not yeah, drinking or yeah. not using, but but to be able to thrive. Exactly. I think that's yeah. I think that's so cool. That's it's really- so cool. It's so so cool. I think that's like one of the best parts of treatment. Actually, is is people coming back and doing that. That's amazing. Have you spoken in it at a treatment? Uh, I've done twice. Okay, cool. I've gone back. I have never gone to my. Uh, my alma mater. Yeah. But, but I have a friend who is a, a director at a place awesome. and it's, it's, it's a neat experience. That's I'd like great. to go back. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's amazing. And, you know, and also talking about, um, you know, you had mentioned expanding, ha- like having that foundation, that 12 step foundation mm-hmm. and then digging into other things. You know, Paul used to, Paul used to always talk about, um, like having a recovery portfolio. Yeah. And, I like that idea too. Cause like I'm a 12 step guy. I've been a 12 step guy since like, since I got out of treatment Yeah, and, and I love it. That's kind of like my bedrock and my foundation and my sponsor. That's a very important relationship, but, yes. but I like those other things too. And it's, I think it's, I think it's okay. I mean, if, like if there's anybody, again, not that anybody's like, hold on, I got to listen to Chris for uh, permission on recovery elevator. But I think it's, I <laughs> you think, know, I remember I would take permission wherever I could find it. Yeah. But if there's, <laughs> If there's anybody that's thinking like, oh shit, it's got to be like twelve step or, or yeah. nothing, and it's again, there's like be honest with yourself and and yeah. make sure you have people that you're accountable to to like help yeah, you. That's it. Absolutely. But yeah. but yeah, I think it's absolutely possible to to kind of have our a few different things that work for, for us. For sure. Yeah. Haley, this time has freaking flown by, and we <laughs> we are at the rapid fire section. Oh, oh, I didn't study. That's all right. These are all, they're all top secret questions. There's no, there's no studying. It's impossible. Okay, great. I wouldn't have known. <laughs> but in 30 to 60 seconds, uh, answer these questions. Are you ready? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> one of these days, I've probably said this like half a dozen times. One of these days, I'm going to have some like suspenseful music that I dip over this. <laughs> Just to, <laughs> I'll have some lasers. Number one, what was your biggest fear as you were thinking about getting sober? People losing respect for me slash never having fun again. Yeah, that's a common one. Number two, uh, the inverse of that. What is a positive that you didn't expect in your life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm ready to tell you. I have so much fun. I have so much fun. It's it's really so great. Also, um, one of my favorites is, so I've always been an early riser, even when I stayed up all night. I, I wake up at 6 a.m. no matter what. Waking up at 6 a.m. when you've gotten a full night of rest and did not do drugs or drink the night before is amazing. And I get to do it every day. I watch the sunrise pretty much every day. It's incredible. Very cool. Mm-hmm. In regards to sobriety, what's the best piece of advice you've received? Well, I got to go back to the consistency over intensity thing. Yeah, Committing to it for the long term is different than, than jumping in, which is how I always did everything, right? Like. Mm-hmm fast cleanse diets and intense yoga retreats instead of a yoga class once a week. And 
even dating, like get to know this person in intensity right away and um, consistency over intensity. Yeah. This is actually, I'm, I just want to credit that I am bar. I sort of borrowing that term from someone who was just on Brene Brown podcast. I'm forgetting his name, but he wrote the atomic habit trademark. (laughs) Hey guy, that's all you. Uh, what parting piece of guidance can you give our listeners who are either in recovery or thinking about getting sober? Yeah. So I personally want to say that you can do whatever you want with your life and do it sober. It's not an either or, and that some paths may be more difficult and you may need more support and resources if you choose to do them sober. Um, but they're becoming available to all of us. And if you love what you do, you can do it sober and you'll probably love it even more. All right, Haley. And last but certainly not least, uh, last, but certainly not least give listeners your favorite. You might need to ditch the booze. If line, um, you might need to ditch the booze. If you have $2,700 in parking tickets, it could be an indicator. It could be an indicator. I love it. Haley. I just want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Chris. And again, like uh, listeners, we're going to put Ben's friends in the show notes and yeah, you're going to help a lot of people. It sounds like, sounds like you're already doing some amazing work, um, but you're going to help a lot of people with this. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It was great to meet you. Likewise. Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you, Haley, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people. To anyone in the hospitality industry, make sure you take a look at Ben's friends. When checking out their site, I found this description. At our core, we are hospitality workers who have found connection and the tools to seek and maintain sobriety while managing our careers and lives in a sane and purposeful way. You can find more information online at www.bensfriendshope.com. www.bensfriendshope.com. I was at a conference for work a few weeks ago, and the keynote speaker talked about BP's Deepwater Horizon oil spill. It was the worst marine oil spill in history, and 11 people lost their lives. He explained that at that site, it had been several years since their last on-the-job accident. On paper, this event shouldn't have happened. With so much time accident-free, what went wrong? He told us that when it comes to workplace safety, it isn't about zero injuries. It's about zero at-risk behaviors. Something Haley was talking about brought me back to this speaker. She said that after treatment, she initially wanted to hit as many meetings as possible, and I felt the same way. How do I check that box and get this thing done? Somebody just tell me what to do so I can get this over with. Haley said it perfectly. It's not about intensity, it's about consistency. So looking back at that speaker's comments, what does my recovery look like when I'm fostering a culture of zero at-risk behaviors versus simply zero injuries? Injuries being slips, relapses, field research, whatever you want to call it. I can stay out of a bar or a liquor store. I can skip the weekend party. I can go fill a seat at a meeting or I can force myself to listen to a podcast all while not drinking. Yes, those things check the box. But the question I have to ask myself is, is this filling my cup? Am I only staying away from my former drinking life? Or am I working to create a life that I love so much that drinking doesn't have a place in it? 
I don't want this to come across as a message of you need to be doing more, just do more work because it's not about quantity at all. It's about the quality. Lately, I've actually been doing fewer big meetings and I've leaned into some deeper one-on-one connections. I'm starting to dig into my spiritual practice and studies and I'm learning more about my faith. The larger meetings and groups, they're still in my portfolio. I'm not abandoning those tools, but I'm focusing my attention on what I need right now. A key part of this is having accountability. That comes in the shape of a sponsor for me, but it could be any trusted friend or mentor. I get to have these conversations with him and make sure that I'm keeping balance in my life. I want to encourage you to look at what you're doing with curiosity, not judgment. Are you being fulfilled? Has something you've been doing turned into a ritual? Again, this isn't to say that everyone needs to uproot their whole plan, but I think it warrants a look. The blessings that come from a fulfilled recovery are beyond measure, but the consequences of just getting by are far too dire for me to become complacent. Be patient and give yourself grace while you take a look at your work. This could also serve as an opportunity to show gratitude for the wonderful tools that you've picked up. Talk with someone to get another perspective. Find those meetings, those relationships, or those practices that build you up. Look for the things that bring you joy and leave you feeling invigorated. You deserve to have a beautiful, fulfilled life recovery elevator, and it's out there. I love you. How do you know this is the experience you need? Because this is the experience you're having at this moment. In the seeing of who you are not, the reality of who you are emerges by itself. Life isn't as serious as my mind makes it out.